You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Enemy of My Enemy. I'm Hody Jones. I'm Lou. And we've got a special episode for you tonight. I'm going to go ahead and preface this by saying if you are only interested in our political positions, you may skip this episode if you would like. Lou and I are both, uh, both of us have a faith that influences our politics. So you may find this worthwhile to listen to just because of that. I'm sure we'll touch on it a little bit. But this is going to be an episode that breaks with the rest. Normally, of course, we represent the left, right, and center on the same show and have a nice debate and and everything like that. Uh, but this time, it is just going to be uh, us talking about a faith both Lou and I used to be members of the LDS Church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, currently called the Mormon Church, faux slang. And uh, we just had some thoughts about it. So... <laughs> I don't really have a structure very much. I asked for some Facebook comments for people that were curious. Lou, um, I knew she was an ex-Mormon, and then I talked about it where I was just like, hey, guys, I'm kinda, I kind of had a falling out with the church just I mean, weeks ago. I, this is a new thing for me. I kind of changed it privately because I didn't want to make a big splash with the kind of family that would be like, wait, what's going on? But I did, you know, officially change it everywhere that it needed to get changed. It is social media official. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, but I'm just, um, it's one of those things that I, I think everybody feels a little bit deeply on. I mean, if you're going to have a strong opinion about something, religion's probably the one thing. So it makes sense. This is eternity we're talking about um, after all, but um Lou, I guess the I guess maybe a good place to start is maybe to talk about your journey, maybe up to the point of falling out. If you want to start with that, like just talk about kind of, kind of, kind of some of those early early points. Let's start them off with some honey before we hit them with a really heavy hammer. Okay, so uh, growing up, I I actually wasn't Mormon growing up. However, I lived in a neighborhood that was predominantly Mormon. I lived overseas on a military base. And, um, if you, you know, if you know much about the military and Mormons, like there's a lot of intersecting there. There's sort of this belief of, you know, uh, duty. And for a lot of people, they believe that to be the military, um, in, in the Mormon church. So there's a huge, um, population of Mormons in the military. And many of them are officers. So where we lived, my dad was a civilian, but we lived in sort of like the officer neighborhood. So literally like all of my friends were Mormons. And in fact, several of the ones who were not growing up are now because all of our friends were Mormons. Um, And man, they are good at 
converting. <laughs> right. Colossally um, good. Yeah. Right. So um, it was something I was sort of always around and culturally was always very comfortable with and familiar with. Um, and I, Hody, you may be familiar with some of these, like culturally speaking, like the LDS church in, in some ways kind of like Scientology, like they have their own Hollywood, right? There are movies like entertainment movies that are specific to Mormon culture and Mormon faith. So like Friday night, movie night at a friend's house was something like Baptists at our barbecue. Like, have you seen that one? It's pretty funny <laughs> Especially because I grew up Baptist. My grandfather is a Baptist preacher. My uncle is a Baptist preacher. Like, so fast forward, uh, you know, after high school, I'm back living in the States. Um, I had been having sort of a weird, um, relationship with addiction not my addiction but somebody close to me that I loved and it was a very stressful time and I reconnected with a high school friend slash high school sweetheart who had just come home from his mission and we I we rushed into it I moved to where he lived and we fell in love and got married very very quickly but of course I had to convert and I was like, okay, yeah. Like he actually, I was living in a different state at the time when we first started talking. Um, this was back in the days of AOL and ICQ and, you know, those chats. <laughs> um, and he actually sent missionaries to my house to talk to me in like in another state. Like he called somebody and they called somebody. And yeah. Um, then I went to visit for Christmas and. We ended up, I guess you were dating and I really, you know, for me, the big draw with the Mormon faith at the time was, you know, no alcohol, no, um, you know, they seem to have all these very strict moral boundaries and, and rules and things like that. So I kind of felt like, oh, I'm safe here. Like I can live a life and have a community where, you know, addiction and alcoholism and abuse and all these terrible things are not an issue. And that's rose-colored glasses for you, because let me tell you, it doesn't matter what your faith is. Anybody's capable of anything. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we were young and dumb, and we rushed off and got married when I was, like, 19 years old. And um, But because I hadn't been – like, I had been – baptized in the church, but I hadn't like been through the whole process to be able to go to the temple and have a wedding, which I didn't really want anyway, because then my family couldn't come. So we just did a little ceremony in the church, but there was still all this weird pressure. Like you're going to do this in the temple too. Right. And I was like, I don't know. Like I heard you baptized dead babies in Mountain Dew in the temple. I don't know about that. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just like super secret thing. No, like even in the privacy of your own home with your spouse or your parent, like you can't ask questions about what happens in the temple. And that always weirded me out. I'm a, I need to know all the details before I do something kind of person. And like that. Yeah. I don't know. That was sort of one of the things that always kind of stuck in the back of my head. But yeah, so that's how I came into the church. And I loved the sense of community 
And, you know, if anybody, we lived in Little Rock, Arkansas, or just outside. And um, literally the night of our wedding, there was a massive, like, F5 tornado that ripped through town, which I should have known was a sign. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Um, Then the frogs start coming down with it. And you're like, okay, this was a mistake. (laughs) Literally, we had, like, our wedding, and then we were doing, like, a small dinner with our families that night. But then the next day we were going to do a big to do in the park with everybody from the church. The park was destroyed. So. Playing in dirt with the fam. <laughs> right. So oh. I was like, okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, I did. I loved the sense of community there. Now, I don't know if we want to start getting into the nitty gritty yet. So uh, I'll hand it back to you to talk about how you <laughs> came into the church. <laughs> sure. So I, um, growing up, I was raised kind of a very loose, do whatever you want, uh, type of belief system. Um, my mom was certainly a Christian and my dad was certainly ambivalent on the entire matter. Um, so it really was kind of a do whatever you want. I did a lot of exploring. I, I believe I read the Bible, of course, wasn't able to understand a lick of it, but like elementary school age. I was very drawn to theology. I always have been. I ended up majoring it for a good reason. I mean, it's just the study of religion's always been fascinating to me. Um, I ended up being like, hey, I don't really want to do drugs. I don't want to drink alcohol. I don't want to have sex. And I'm not Mormon. But when you have those rules in place, you are labeled as a Mormon, whether you want it or not, you know, like you are basically like, and so if you have any community like that is Mormon, so I wouldn't even say I grew up in a Mormon community, but the community that I hung out with at school was like, I mean, I don't want to exaggerate, but like half a solid half of them were Mormons just because it's like, yeah, you're part of the, you don't do drugs, you don't drink, you don't have sex club. And if you're in high school and you're not doing those things, you're either Mormon or you're a weirdo. So like, that's, that's kind of the community I found myself with. I ended up going to seminary. I ended up even graduating from seminaries and non-Mormon, which you can do. I enjoyed attending with my friends and studying and they always had questions and me being a religious curate, you know, curious about religion, I would ask them questions and I'd be like, yes, I love studying this stuff. Even if I disagree with you guys, give it to me. You know, I, I remember right. we had a, I mean, we even had a club for Muslim students that met, um, you know, one, one, one day a week. And I would attend that. And I just, I, I, I would surround myself with it. I ended up majoring it in college. Uh, loved that, those studies. Um, I studied with the Krishnas and everything. So it's like, well, how did you land on Mormonism in the middle of all that? If you had your pick at the buffet, how'd you pick the Mormon one? And really what it was is there was this, I, I felt very strongly towards Christianity after studying kind of faith broadly. Um, and just certain practical messages. I loved the words of Christ. I loved the teachings. I love kind of the way it came about. I found that much of it, um, I'm big on archaeology and big on history. And I love so much of some of what those like the Dead Sea Scrolls and like, you know, a lot of consistency there and these things that you'd find that was just say like, oh, wow, the walls of Jericho actually fell like outward, like the wrong way. Like, there's some real and 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 I'm not trying to say like if you like you respect my facts or else you're not like everybody finds facts that latch onto them and go with it. I, I understand. I don't have a great explanation for why the ice caps are super thick. So I, I understand that there's evidence 
everything is a paradox is what they call it. It doesn't have to contradict each other, but nobody really understands because it appears to contradict itself. Right. You know, there's just so many things in the universe where it's like, I don't know. You know, like at some point you just have to say, I'm sorry, I don't know about anything. And if you think there's any scientific consensus on it, I challenge you to read any book by any atheist that explains the history of the universe and you'll find there is absolutely no consensus. I'm not saying that like atheism is wrong. It's just, we don't know. Nobody knows. So we all right. have to invent something, you know, like we all have to think of something for now and test these theories, you know, and just wonder. And so for me that, that, that I, I just felt compelled towards many of the key stories in Christianity. Um, I loved a lot of the extracurricular books that aren't even in the gospels that are surrounding the life of Christ. Um, much of the, you know, old Testament times, it just was like, wow, this, there's really something that seemed to be happening with this movement. And I, I, so I had felt drawn to that. I was a Christian. I selected Mormonism really because of a single challenge because, you know, nobody has proof of anything in this world. And there's this time when the apostles are watching Jesus ascend. And the last thing that before he goes, they're like, Hey, there's going to be a lot of people that try to claim to be coming in your name. Uh, how do I know which one's the right guy? And he's just like, hey, by their works, you shall know them. And so I'm like, well, if I'm looking at good works, I'm looking at a lot of Mormons suddenly, <laughs> you know, and that yeah. one really impressed upon me if that was the one challenge that kind of Christ issued. And so I became Mormon. Um, I did the whole Mormon shtick. I didn't half-ass it like Lou over here. I, hey, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I had to wait a year, but they like, pressured us to get married early because that's a mormon thing too just yeah. so you know <laughs> also true um <laughs> like and so we um i i did i got baptized i got the confirmation i got sealed in the temple to my now ex-wife um i Everything was going swimmingly. Um, I was a type of person who had a lot of questions. I, I think I went through something like eight different sets of missionaries. Like I was just like, I'll talk to them, but I'm not going to give in unless I like get a good explanation. Oh, and so, the, uh, well, we give the milk before the meat line. Did you? Yeah. That? So <laughs> you and I are both old enough. This actually isn't in place anymore. Um, but you, you, they used to have a very specific, like they had to go over a certain regimen. And so I got yeah. the same speech like eight times. And it's funny. I think like the year after I converted, they did away with the rule. They were like, we'll let our missionaries kind of play it by ear a little bit. But yeah, right. before they're like, Oh no, you have to take these steps first. Like you can't ask about the no, no black people allowing being allowed to have the priesthood thing until you go through these steps first. Right. And it's like, I've gone through those steps. I understand those steps. This is my hangup. Like we have to skip to this step now. Like I, I, I need right. answers to. Them. So and like poor missionary kids, like honest, honestly, they are not prepared for that. Right. It, it's funny. So something that, that I, I find astounding is the LDS church has very good uh, conversion rate. I mean, it's just over half of this faith. Over half of the faith is a first generation faith. Right. And it's a large faith. So I'm that's a lot of converts to be making consistently. And when wow. you're asking kids, college age kids, to sacrifice two years of their lives on their own dime, you know, learn a language in three months and then try to witness to somebody, I did feel like there's something miraculous with it. Cause I'm like, how do you get this kind of conversion rate from these kids? Like that's crazy. It is. And, yeah. and it's astounding. And 
I guess they have yeah, for the art of sales. It's <laughs> right. <laughs> like as someone who also has done sales training, like I really no joke relied on the things I learned from my ex-husband about how training for missionary school went. Not even kidding. I've applied a lot of those techniques to my sales training. It's crazy. It works. It's smart. I mean, and, and more <laughs> people should mimic the mim mimic the process. So I was feeling strong about it. My marriage fell apart. My ex-wife left me. I actually taught in, I ended up teaching Institute. Um, I think I said I graduated Institute. I graduated seminary. Sorry about that, everybody. Mistake. I graduated seminary. I ended up becoming a teacher for Institute. And at the time, they since reversed this policy as well. They would instant fire you if you were divorced, even if it wasn't your fault. Yeah. I was a casualty of that. I believe they changed it. It was probably like three or four years after I was fired for it, but that's what happened. I taught it all of, I, I did one student training semester and then I got my own class for one semester and that was it. Um, but I was all in. I was, I still kept my faith even after that. And it's really only been in a couple of weeks ago that I've just kind of been like, man, I keep studying. And the more I keep studying, the more I keep thinking and the more I keep thinking, it's different to have doubts and it's different to get pulled into a different direction. So uh, now that I'm going to, I guess that that takes us on the upside of the roller coaster right. thing. And now we're, it's not going to be that clean cut. I'm sure I, I'm sure I still have more good things to say about the way the church operates, but as far as our, my personal journey goes, that's about where things start to go down. So Lou, I will let you begin with the downswing of your uh, journey with the Mormon faith. Okay. Um, Let's see. I will say, I, I think it really kind of started with, um, even before, like as I was kind of going through the conversion process. Now you have to understand, as I mentioned before, like my family, particularly my dad's side of the family, like they're devout Protestant, Baptist, whatever. Not the kind of Southern Baptist you think of like footloose, can't dance, can't whatever. Like they're real chill, non-denominational kind of Baptists, right? Um. But when I started visiting with the Mormons, like my my dad would plant these seeds with me and he would ask me questions like, you know, what do you know about Joseph Smith or, um, you know, what's the deal with the golden tablets or what's the deal with black people not being allowed in the church or to attain priesthood or whatever? Um Oh, wait, I want to pause there for a second, like earlier. And I, I know you're kidding about like the whole half-assing our Mormonism thing. But I do want to I want to explain to other people because it's because I was a woman. I was never qualified for the priesthood as a man. You are like and they like usher you through the process because they want you to be an elder and to be a member of the priesthood. You're an asset, whereas I'm a woman. It didn't really matter. Like, it's unfortunate, but yeah. So anyway, so like I'd always kind of had these doubts in the back of my head. And I always, on some level, I really knew I wasn't buying a lot of it. I just wanted an escape, right? So I tried and I dove in. And, and so I kind of did what they call the buffet Mormon or the Mormon buffet where I was like, okay, I like this part. I like this. I'm going to take some of this and, you know, but I'm going to leave that. And I'm going to like 
the the Jesus jammies, <laughs> like, <laughs> like some of the things that, um, you know, were a little too out there for me. Like I can't get behind on a literal level. Um, like even as a Christian, I am not a literalist. And one of the things in Mormonism is they, it really is very literal. Like you're expected to believe a lot of these things in a very literal sense. And then you kind of have to go, well, that's a little kooky. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, so I always kind of had those seeds of doubt. And then um, when my now ex-husband, uh, when we got married, uh, it was good. And then um, we, the unfortunate incident, and I'm sorry to do this and get a little dark here, um, but he raped me. And I, I have narcolepsy and I suffer from sleep paralysis and, and things like that. Um, not so much anymore, but at the time I was really, it was bad and it wasn't controlled. Um, and he knew that like, and he knew how to tell when I was asleep, awake, aware, but paralyzed, like he was, he knew, um, and he took advantage of that. I am so sorry, Lou. That is awful. So I struggled with that. Like, didn't know what to do, right? I didn't know what to think. And because he'd always treated me well. He was never mean or abusive or aggressive in any way. So, like, I was really put off by the whole thing. And I went and spoke to church leadership and the bishop looked me dead in the face and told me that it was my fault because it's my duty as a woman, as a wife, to honor the urges of my husband. And I was like, not excommunicated. What is the word they use for like? you're like semi shunned, right? Like you're still expected to go to church and do all these things, but like live on probation, right? Isn't it also disaffiliated? Kind of. Yeah. yeah. I know we're using that word a lot because we're libertarians, but I, I think that might even be the word, but yeah. It might be. Honestly, is it decongregated? De de I think. Oh, like keep that. going. I'll think about it. Hang on. Okay. <laughs> um, so I got in trouble for being raped. And I, like, it just hit me. And so I found a forum, because this was back when we all did forums. And I met other Mormon wives who had been through the same or similar. Um, and then I, from there, sort of connected with um, other Mormons who had left the church um, for all kinds of reasons. But, and and there was a lot of sort of uh, like theological discussion then, you know, comparing history and like the facts of, like the historical facts of Joseph Smith 
and the church and how it came to be and all of these things. And like, and then everything my dad ever said to me about like, you need to ask yourself these questions. This isn't right. You know, kind of hit me. And I was like, Ugh. okay, so like, I'm in a cult. Cool. Um, <laughs> like, and I don't mean to be offensive if that is, the, I understand for you, this is a lot more fresh than it is for me. Like I'm talking well over a decade here. You'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we're talking personal feelings, personal experiences. I mean, right, not, exactly. Uh, I, I think a lot of times people tend to, especially when discussing religion, we deny people's personal experiences as part right. of it. And so like, I've noticed Okay, have you ever watched like a show? I, I this happens to me when I watch Law and Order SVU. Anytime they have to do the dialogue for like a religious person, I'm just like they sound like an idiot. Or like a Spike Lee movie where they try to do dialogue for a white person, you're just like, could you not have? Could you have a white person please write this? Like, can you have like a Christian write this? Like, I'm not saying you have to make them fantastic. There are Christians who totally suck. I'm fine with like you if you want to depict the Westboro Baptist church. That's fine. Oh, especially when like adults try to do like kids, like here's the kids partying and they're just like, yeah, we are the awesome. And you're just like, Oh, (laughs) this is cringe. Our kids. And we're like, Ooh, we're going to get on the TikToks and follow you. Like, (laughs) (laughs) right. Yeah. All right. You're just like, Oh guys, like maybe have a writer do this. It's that actually understands. And so like, I I do think it's one of those that people, you have to take people's personal experiences, both positive and negative. I think people's tendency is to just be like, Oh, your Bishop sucked. That was just one guy, whatever. But when you do have enough like people that share this, the kind of experience that you had an institutional problem, right? And it it becomes an institutional problem. And then there's other times where you just say like, but at the same time, I'm not going to deny all the institutional good things that I also recognize. Right. That's why you got to have a little nuance with it, but you may continue. And I totally like, and that like emotionally was really difficult for me. Right. Because we would have Sunday dinners with, we would host the missionaries in our town and, and these kids were just so kind and loving and genuine and wanted to help. And most people in the church are like, when they volunteer for anything in the community or to help you as a friend, like it's so genuine. And as you said, like identifying them by the fruits, right? Like there genuinely is a level of community and mutual aid, which I always have been drawn to, obviously I'm an anarchist. (laughs) Yay. yay. (laughs) So, like that I always really admired in the Mormon church. And, you know, I go back to the kids I grew up with. We all, you know, our families all did things together. If, you know, obviously being military parents would have to deploy. So kids would come live with us for six months at a time, you know, like that kind of stuff. So that was a really hard pill for me to swallow. Like accepting that I was an like my situation was the exception to the rule was easier until I found out that it really wasn't. And that like, that's been one of the hardest things for me. Um, you know, I'm, as an anarchist, I'm all, I'm a hundred percent pro polygamy. <laughs> like if that's your thing, do it. Right. Um, as an ex Mormon, I'm like, just, be careful. God, be careful. Because I've seen 
terrible things and it I worry you know when people go into relationships like that from a religious perspective and not I guess a secular personal perspective I don't I don't know like there are institutional problems there you know between that and then being harassed about my tithing when I didn't have money <laughs> trying to like feed us and just it was a lot and I don't know I think that's that's really where it broke and then um I met a really good friend of mine who is still a friend to this day and actually him and I had talked about doing a podcast really similar to enemy of my enemy but his schedule never worked out <laughs> well thank goodness ours did right <laughs> um but he also is an ex-Mormon and, and we had a lot of very deep like theology discussions and like historical and scholarly discussions about it. And it, I learned a lot from him. He grew up Mormon and was like on track to be like a bishop. Mm -hmm. And then it all came tumbling down for him much in the same way, it, you know, has for many of us. So I don't know. It's an interesting journey, one I have not visited in quite a long time. Yeah, my my experience is obviously a lot less, I mean, how could it be more personal than yours? But uh, mine's a lot less personal as far as my relationship falling apart with the church, because I think, and this happens a lot in society, people will understand, I am a straight, white, Christian, male, so I check all the boxes of not having to deal with crap that other people have to deal with, and so it's it's absolutely fantastic, highly recommended for those who can't get on board. Um, it is just, if you're going to select it in life, like that's really the way to, to go. Right, like if I had um, a choice, I would totally be a straight, white, Christian male. Yeah, uh, uh, why would you not be? I mean, it's right. it's been it's a blast. Anybody looking <laughs> from the outside in, it's a blast. But like, here's the thing: is like I understand. I, I have been cognizant of other people's problems. Um, I wouldn't say from a young age, but it's something you learn. You know that you just kind of say like, "Oh, yeah. I haven't had to deal with it." And I remember when I first heard the rule, and it was during debate when I was in college, and it, they just were like, "Listen." I, I understand you want to be a speech and debate champ. If you're going to do that, you cannot discount anybody else's personal experiences. And that just laid a groundwork for me that has kind of carried on for the rest of my life to just say like, okay, your experience is real. And I can't make a philosophy that just says, well, sorry about what you have, what happened to you, but you're just dumb or something. Right. So I think what happened and for me, I'm a slow mind changer. I got to sit with something. I got to wait on it. And I don't necessarily feel bad about that because it's not a stubbornness. But what it is, is when you do build up something and you have a lot of evidence for it, a lot of times you get one new piece of evidence that seems to counter the rest and you got to wait on it for a bit. And then eventually, a lot of times that just gets ironed out, right? Like you're like, oh, I thought it was this. I remember when the Big Bang, a lot of people forget about this. Remember when they found the smoking gun for the Big Bang? There was this right. cosmic push in the universe and the Big Bang theory was pretty much proved and anybody who didn't believe it, it was a goddamn idiot. And I just remember it was less than two months after that that they found that there were celestial bodies working against that flow. So if there were, like, so there is a push in the universe, but there are, there were, it was, it couldn't have been caused by singularity because that push 
there were other celestial bodies not involved in that singularity. So it's kind of a complicated subject, but basically in proving the Big Bang Theory, they actually found a cosmic force that actually disproved the Big Bang Theory. Again, it's something that kind of modern atheism is working out. I find it all fascinating. Um, right. Like I love quantum physics, like just as a hobby. Right. <laughs> like it's fascinating. <laughs> right. Half the time I don't understand it. So I have to, you know, watch you know, the flash or something. <laughs> <laughs> like I need comic books to keep explaining this shit to me. It's, um. <laughs> it, it's complex. The, the, the whole, and the whole thing about that is if I had just immediately <laughs> abandoned my faith and then immediately joined two months later, I'd be a very temperamental person, right? Like it only well, takes, you gotta do your due diligence, right? Especially right. something like this, like you said, you're talking about eternity or the universe. Like these are not minor things. Yeah. So like I get a new piece of information. I got to sit on it for a bit. And I think just finally for me, I, I sat on it and it started happening when the church, we've always had a problem with progress, right? Cause we, we didn't let black people get the, the priesthood till 10 years after the civil rights act, right? Like everybody was else was really doing it. reluctantly. Right. Well, I mean, the civil rights act was already reluctantly. I mean, every, right. every successful business was like, yeah, if you're segregating customers, you're a moron. Like it was already like a dying thing culturally. Then right. came the civil rights act. Then a decade later comes the church being like, and he, and this is an important part of kind of that. And especially with recently what's been going on in my heart is the explanation for that among the church is that it's like, hey, we've been trying to get God to change his mind on this for a long time. Like we've been praying about it and been like, please let us let black people in. And finally, God was like, all right, you know what? Fine. You can have black people. in." First of all, that doesn't sound very much like God, especially one that had black people that were apostles, for goodness sake. Right. But. Uh, it really doesn't sound like that's something that, that now here's, here's the other problem is there's a hypocrisy to this because what happened is this great change happened after we pushed for it, after a lot of great people were like, no, I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to keep pushing. I'm going to keep pushing. I want this church to, to do this. Like, I'm not going to let it not do it. And so finally we push and it happens, but take a look at what they're doing today. And they're actually, not only are we just behind on progress, but there's actually certain areas where regression is happening. So recently, if you have a trans parent, a gay parent, we will not baptize your child or some, you know, in, in the same house because reasons, because you're just living with somebody and it's just, it, it, I believe the explanation would be, it would just be too much responsibility to put on somebody who's living in a house that has gay, has gay parents. Yeah. Now here's the problem is that's a new rule. So we've regressed, right? That's going backwards. Wait, so instead well, of forward, when you say new, how new are you talking? Because I remember that being a conversation. Mm, 15, 16, 17 years ago. I, I think it's one of those that, it's a, it was new as far as a policy. I'm sure that there were like mass bishops being like, no, we won't do baptisms or something. But when it came right. out from like the first presidency, I guess I'll say the, the, the people at the head of the church being like official written in stone, we're not doing baptisms if your kid is for your kid, if your kid is gay or, or well, we already knew that if your parents are gay and the kid is straight. 
And so I I'm just like interesting. I, I hadn't, I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. I just oh, I hadn't seen it written from the church presidency, but I had I'd actually asked that question mm -hmm. at one point in time as a convert myself. And you know, about the children of gay parents. Like, what do you think about that? And I what I was told the reason they wouldn't is because it was out of respect for the parents that even though we as a church do not agree, we would not baptize their children while they were still under their guardianship. Right. So we would yeah. wait till they were adults and out of the house. And so it was put out like this, you know, we don't want to put a wedge in the family. So we'll, deal with them when they're 18 kind of thing. And I always thought that was interesting. So to hear that in comparison to what has come out with the president since then, like through a policy of the presidency of the church is interesting. Right. Well, and, and the issue here is that, that, okay, so let's say I disagree with that policy. What should I do? Well, based on your previous policy of not letting black people get the priesthood and I pushed and eventually you relented, then what this says to me is I need to push and you will relent again. So I'm pushing against the church leadership. I've done this plenty of times before. I mean, this is not my first time. I've done it with marijuana and I, yeah, I mean, homosexuality. I've even done it. You kind of mentioned it a little bit. I've done it with women with the priesthood has been a long one for a long time that I'm just so sick of this. You're born this way. You get this. You're born this way. You get gifts. People are people. and We have different gifts. That's not something that's scripturally correct. It's something that needs to be ironed out. And so I just kind of say like, let's fix it. And the reason I think I acted as a fixer for the long, longest time is I looked a lot like Martin Luther. He had big issues with the Catholic church. Like, you know, of a ton of things that they were doing, but his goal was not to destroy the church. It was to get him to change. He's like, my goal is to make you guys change. Right. And I, the issue that I had is, is they started. So then somebody would be like, Hey, let's have, there's this sex therapist who would just be like, let's talk about healthy relationships that you can have that aren't full blown sex before you're married. And they excommunicate her. And then they say, okay, well, let's talk about somebody who let's see these activists that want to say, hey, let's let the gay kid, like the children of homosexuals get married, excommunicated. Like if you're leading a group that says that, like they've just started being like, nope, nope, nope. And like, they'll listen to you. They have a hearing. They're not the most monstrous people on earth, but the problem is, is this new direction of just kicking them out. When in reality, these people were the people trying to fix what was wrong. They were the ones pushing for change. And right. you're the ones stuck in the past. You can't just excommunicate them. They're the ones who were, I mean, 50 years from now when the church ends up reverting course on this because they realize they're a bunch of brain dead morons and this is the way that the world works. They're too late. Like this is not, God's love is not, love is not begrudging. That's and so when when I read in the scriptures about what love is and the way God behaves, and then I see what the church is doing, I see a clear disconnect right now. And I I put up with it. I'm aware that some of this news is like two or three years old, so it's like, Cody, why didn't you leave then? Well, the issue was we rationalize everything. <laughs> right. I have seen this church is the church falling apart is nothing new. Look at the scriptures, it falls apart. In the Old Testament, never be to re be remade again. And it falls apart like freaking 50 times in the Old Testament. Like they're just like, oh, it's working. Oh, it's not working. Oh, it's working. Oh, it's not working. Rules. I mean, <laughs> you're listening to two anarchists right now. So rules don't make for morality. 
And we have been trying, we as an LDS church has been trying to policy our way and law our way into some kind of morality. It's just never going to get there. There is some wisdom in saying, don't be an alcoholic and saying, don't do that. You know, these are certain bad things, but you just need to have some perspective and say, okay, but then I need to say like, hey, don't chew this because it gives you cancer. Not like, oh, your soul is dirty or something like that. <laughs> you know, right. like, yeah, it's just, it's bust up. And I, I should probably give you a chance to talk about this, but I just, I think for me, I, I look at the, the, the scriptures and I just see this God that is constantly pushing and, and there are laws before there. Okay. Let me give, give you some great examples of laws that God's like, I don't know where the hell you got that from that are even in the Bible. Oh, I definitely wanted to mention this because you talked about not being a biblical literalist. I'm kind of with you there. It's funny because we even, uh, the LDS church has an article of faith that says we believe the Bible is the word of God. So long as it's translated correctly, the Bible doesn't even proclaim to be the word of God. In fact, there are times when God's like, I don't know where you got that law from. And it's sitting there in the Bible, like God, yeah. like kosher law, um, like stoning homosexuals. They go before God. God's like, I don't, what are you doing now? Like this is, and it's there, it's sitting there in the Bible, but God's like, that's not really the way this works. In fact, like God not, not only issues like a small rebuke of kosher law, he's like, hey, how dare you call what I've made clean unclean? Screw you. You know, like you're part of that creation too. So if you're calling that dirty, you're dirty as well. Like this is all, all creation sings the glory of God. Pretty sure I had that written somewhere and you're a moron for like sticking in these old ways in the past. Like, right. and so there are just these certain rules where I just say like, God doesn't like rules. Even when he gives like the, the 10 commandments, Moses contends with them even for the 10 commandments. He's like, please, we want rules. And God's like, dude, I don't, you guys are going to misconstrue the rules and like become hardliners, become insane about them. But if you really need them, you know, I guess I'll give you something. And I think that's maybe why I stuck with it as I was like, maybe this is just a bad time for the church. It's just a bad, like, this is one of those downswings. And it's going to go on an upswing because this has happened before. God clearly likes the church because he does keep trying to establish something to say like, hey, like, let's have these communities be self-sufficient, a lot of mutual aid. I find that the church has a lot of doctrine. And this is where a lot of early anarchists get their literature is from, from Christ's words about the way the church structure is supposed to work. And they're like, this is what a good template for a voluntary community is what is right. paid, what is there in the church. And so I think part of me really wanted to like that, but I can't sit here and say the Mormons do a lot of good works in spite of all the great works that they do. I mean, I love their foreign aid. I love, I mean, you look at like when, when there's a homeless drive and you need volunteers and you'll just get a million of them lined up. But I can't only look at that and ignore it when we have an epidemic of our homosexual kids committing suicide, or we have an epidemic of depression and anxiety and sadness and all these other things. I can't look at one good works and ignore the bad works. Like no. you got a mixed bag here in the Mormon church. I don't want to say it's any better or worse than most other churches because people have the, these experiences with Christians all the time that can be 
good and bad. But the problem is, is if you're a mixed bag and you're sitting, you're masquerading around claiming to be the body of Christ, the body of Christ is not a mixed bag. Individuals can be a mixed bag, but the body of Christ was going around healing and doing great works and fixing everything and listening. And we are destroying a lot of things. And as much as I want to say, we talked about the evangelism earlier, how we're so great at converting people. We're terrible at keeping them. Yep. If you say we have over 50% of people that are converted, what happened? What ha we have so many people that are first generation here in the church, over half. What happened to the second? What happened to the third? What happened to the fourth? Well, they yeah. fell out. There's something wrong with our parenting. There's something wrong with the way we're raising our kids. We're great at the, we're great at hooking the fish for being fishers and men, but then you got to take care of the fish. Right. And that part. The shepherding, not so much. Not so much. Not so much. And that's, you know, it's funny because I, this, uh, this was like a turn of phrase that like I heard a lot in um, like a religion. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Context. Like a religious context mm -hmm. that I have also seen um, more in a political context too is that, you know, you have to close the back door right? Like our front door is wide open. Come in, be a part of what we're doing, but you don't want them to just walk in and walk right back out the back door. Right? Like, right. and that's, that is an issue. Um, and I won't even just say within the Mormon church, it's, I, I truly believe this is a problem in the majority of Christian based like based faiths that is tough to say <laughs> christian based faith so <laughs> i'm gonna pass that out um but yeah it is you see that a lot like i don't i have a ton of muslim friends i don't know that i know anyone who's ever left islam i know people who have converted i don't really know anybody who's ever left it um, they may have denounced extremist ideas, but I'm a Christian who has denounced extremist Christian ideas. Um, and I stand firmly in the fact that like, that is not biblical. It is not scriptural. It is not at all right. The same as you would see, um, Muslims or Jews or anybody of any faith say, you know, this is like certain extremes are not representative of the core of the faith, right? So I find it really interesting, but also not surprising um, that that is an issue in the Mormon church. And having dealt with a lot of the, the Mormon church, unlike probably most similarly to the Catholic church, like their hierarchy is very... Um, specific and and really entrenched in the culture of the church. And that hierarchy breeds, you know, the institutional problems you have in any institution, so to speak, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you yeah. know, we talk about the legal system and, and the institutional problems we have there when it comes to race and, and you know, class and things like that. You have the same issue in extremely hierarchical religions. 
And that I think I, I do place a lot of blame on that. Um, and, and this sort of literal translations, they're very legalist, very, um, you know, very strict, a lot of rules, uh, tons of rules. Their entire life is ruled by rules, everything you do, everything you can't do, you know? And I, I'll be honest with you. Like I am not angry at my ex-husband for what he did. I 100% blame the pressure that is put on young Mormon men and young women more so the men um, as far as like suppressing natural urges and what is sinful and what is dirty and, and all, and they don't talk to their children about certain things because you just don't do that. Yeah. Like there's a very prim and proper, like in my home with my family, my husband, my children, there is nothing off limits right? Like mm -hmm. this is our safe place where we can talk about, you know, the scary and the uncomfortable and the nitty gritty. Yep. The Mormon church and the community really has this sort of unspoken rule. And it's not even unspoken. Honestly, there are topics you do not broach ever under your own roof or with anyone really ever so like as a woman you can't go talk to another woman about your sex life if you're having an issue you can't talk to your children about sex um you know whether it's having safe sex or abstaining whatever your thing is like you just don't do it there are things you don't talk about you don't ask your own spouse in the privacy of your own home about what's in the temple you don't like and it's such – the level of secrecy in the church on issues like that um, and and the culture, I really believe – and and I, I started to believe this more because I knew this kid growing up in high school. Like he was amazing, super sweet guy, right? Didn't have a mean bone in his body. Um, but the more I learned after that and I connected with other women that this had happened to – more I realized like he genuinely didn't know better and he didn't know what he was doing was right. He believed from his faith that as a husband, he could just do that. And it was okay. He had no idea. I, he, there was no malice. I know there wasn't. He didn't even know he'd done it. He didn't realize it didn't register. This is the problem when you let policy, it's outsourcing. It's outsourcing your morality to a rule. You know, yeah. to say like, why don't I murder? Because it's a commandment. That's a bad reason to not murder. Right. Like that, that is not, that does not make for a moral person who says, I don't murder because a rule says not to. The reason you don't murder is because you love your neighbor as yourself, right? Because right. you love God with all your heart. And God says, the way you serve me is to serve other people. You know, right. that's a much better reason. So like when it's, when it's something like in your case, and it's just like, well, the policy says that I can have sex with her because she's my wife and okay. 
But really, when you search your conscience, and this is the problem, every time you make a rule, you're outsourcing your conscience to something else. You just say, like, I, I'm going to fall yeah. back on this rule. Now, there's some rules that appear to be really good, you know, that say, like, that's a generally great thing to do. I have no problem with saying, like, hey, life tip, try this out. You know, like, I think that's right. great. Um, not having four-year-olds work in factories, for example solid as far as what happens when you get what happens when you make it a law it gets abused innocent people get punished people trying to make a living get punished like you know all of a sudden you have politicians who try to decide your morality for you and it becomes a mistake you have church leaders try to decide your morality for you and you get these errors and it's just a big checklist of did you not do this did you not do this did you not do this and i find that the more i the more time i spent in my relationship with God and reading from his book, the more I realized that there really was not, there was not a single thing that God judged people by. And people always want to make it real simple. Did you do right. this? Did you walk through this? Did you do this? Did you do this? I mean, generally he says, don't be judgmental. I think the three times the apostles approached him about making it to heaven, he said, it's based on you not judging other people. Right. right. But like, even that, like people, people try to try to fit it through. I mean, the criminal on the cross goes to paradise. He was a murderer and he's just like, man, I screwed up my life. And you know, it just, wherever you get to me, just please keep me in your thoughts. And Jesus is like, no, you're going with me to heaven. And yet you've got somebody else who goes to a church says, Hey, I just sold all my possessions and here's a whole crap ton of money. He withheld one possession and what happened? God killed him on the spot. And I'm just like, okay, so what is like, there's not a single rule that even God goes by as far as judging right. these people. He just is overall looking at your heart, overall looking at your soul, the status of your spirit. And these are the problems that gets when, when we get into this really nitty gritty of Mormonism and we just start analyzing every little thing. And we just say, did you not do this? Did you not do this? Did you do this? Did you do this? You checked all these boxes. Great job. You're a great Mormon. That's not how God judges people. And that's not how his church should view people either. It's right. just, it's, it's just poor. And I, I found that my, my faith was getting stronger and it was coming at the expense of my religion. And that was really the the kind of what I've been going over the past couple of years is the more time I spent with God the more time I, I thought about it, prayed about it, the more time I just acted, lived in the world and was just like, okay, I'm going to be in the world and not be of the world. I see a world of suffering. I'm going to go and create love. I'm going to see a world of hate and I'm going to, I'm going to go and create unity and connection. And over and time and time again, I would have to step over these bounds that says, no, that's a trans kid. You, you condemn his life. You love him, but you condemn his lifestyle. You make sure to, you make sure to remind him that him's a him and you, you know, and that's real love right there. That's the tough love. And I'm like, dude, that's just so bizarre that that's not what the Samaritan did. And was like, sorry, you're a Jew. I'm not going to touch you. Instead. He was like, no, I, I know what my laws say, but I'm going to show this person who got beat up love anyway. And that's the one that goes to heaven. And I just think it's something that requires more conscience and we all have it and we all need to rely more on it. Yes. And every time we make a rule, we just have to understand that it can be a guideline, but we outsource our morality until you get something that kind of is what the LDS church is, which is saying we don't baptize gay kids, terrible general policy. And it, I mean, 
misunderstood at best, but idiotic at its worst. I mean, it's just, it's something that is not, and the more I looked at the scriptures, oh man, stuff like, like homosexuality being a sin. And I didn't realize, like, and the more I studied, there were all these theologians that were like, okay, clearly when you look at Sodom and Gomorrah, that is where we get the problem with homosexuality, right? Because these angels disguised as humans go and visit Lot. And these yeah. Other men from the city see these men enter Lot's house and they say, bring those men out so that we can rape them. And for whatever reason, early people reading this scriptures were like, oh, God must have a problem with them because they're gay. No, they're rapists. And over and over again, they use this word that's like, don't rape other people. <laughs> and we've interpreted that to mean homosexual. And so when you bring this up, yeah. what happens? You get this tremendous pushback. And I'm like, no, this is based on like, I, I'm, I have an interlinear Bible. Like I am so big on finding original subjects, original sources, and, and trying to go back to the, to, to the best translations that we can. And I'm just like, oh my goodness, God seems to have a problem with rape a lot more than he has with homosexuality. And this appears to be misinterpreted. There's a ton of theological backing for that. But what happens is the Christian nationalists Christian fundamentalists, Christian, you can call them extremists, but they've gone so far away from the words of Christ. I don't even like calling them extremists. Okay. They just, yeah, they, they've messed I, it up. Go ahead. <laughs> I love this topic because I have studied this to the like nth degree because I'm like, I could not reconcile this God of love with this idea that but if you're gay, you're going to hell and it's terrible and whatever. Like in the West, in Western Protestant religion, like we really harped on a focus of that, right? Like that is the end all be all of sins. And it's the worst of the sins, which is dumb. We all know it's not, right? So I was like, okay, I want to start looking into this. And I want to say of like the three main scriptures that people try to refer to, right? The main one or not the main one, rather the earliest being the word pornea as it was translated, right? It was just in general it, and it's where we get the word porn, pornography, whatever from. It's just sexual immorality, like cheating, being Maybe a little too free. Briefly, you know, like, I mean, this is a perfect example, though, right? The sexual immorality. Right. Do you have to define it? Or can, do we all kind of know sexual immorality when we see it, right? Right. Right. Perfect. Keep going. So, um, and then there's, and I'm going to mix these up badly. <laughs> Malakoy and Arsenicotai. Sounds good to me. Uh, theology yeah. major approved. Go ahead. Okay. One of which is a reference to the young boys that the, was it the Greeks? Might have been the Greeks. I'm going to mess this up. Basically, the soldiers would use them as like kind of a sex object in in the field, right? When they're like away from their family, their wife, their whatever, like this, they were looked at as kind of property, kind of doing a job. They were young boys that the men could use for sex to 
satisfy whatever so that they could be more focused in the battlefield. They were literally raping children. So Pornea, Arsenicotai, and Malakoy. I'm going to mess that up again. Oh, and Malakoy was rape. The other, well, one or the other was rape. And it literally talked about what you're talking about was these townspeople were coming in to rape these angels to show them this is my town, not your town. It was a power move, which is something we know today. Like if you look at any, you know, criminal justice, psychology, whatever, we, we know rape is like 100% about power and it's not actually about sex, right? So rape, power, rape of a child, general sexual immorality. Those are all of the things that are condemned. And almost every single time any of those words are used, King James himself, in his translation, pivoted to sort of put the focus on homosexuality. There was zero reference to same-sex relationships in the Bible, in the original Greek, Aramaic, or Hebrew. Nothing. The first time the concept of homosexuality was ever introduced in a biblical sense was in the King James translation. And if you study the history of King James, you know that he was in the closet. And as is pretty common with people who are in the closet, they tend to condemn um, as a way to hide, right? So, yeah, literally nothing biblical about being gay. Nothing at all. Like, nothing. It, this is... This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. I think Lou and I had voiced a lot we want to do. I did want to get to a few audience questions because it's that yeah. I would, and I love our audience here. Yes. Um, I think Lou and I are probably going to sync up on this one a bit, but Ron asks, this is probably off subject. Do either of you think being gay is a choice? Is it DNA? would love to hear your opinions. Um, it's not DNA because DNA is just how you were created and your brain go anyway from there. Um, it's I, Here's what I would say. I think it is certainly something that is in your brain that is just how you are. And I would say it's also a choice and I don't give a crap either way. <laughs> I think if you want, like, did I choose to be straight? Yeah, kind of, but it's cause that's also who I am, I guess. Like that's how, how my brain was constructed. Um, there's certainly a propensity for, homosexuality. I, I think there are some people who will take like an extreme example or find one high school friend that was like, I was gay on a dare and I just changed or something weird. But I mean, by and large, it's your nature. Uh, I, I just, it, it, there's not, there's not 
a gay gene, right? Right. Like, like yeah. that one right there. That's the gay <laughs> gene. However, <laughs> um, in total, interactively speaking, genetically speaking, like there are things that influence your sexual attraction. Yeah. Um, so no, I don't, I don't think, I don't necessarily, it's not a choice, right? It's just mm -hmm. who you are. Um, you don't wake up one day and go, okay, well, I'm not going to say nobody does it because I've seen it happen. Right. Like every girl in high school who claimed to be gay or bi, <laughs> you know, right. like or whatever it was, you know, right. um, it, and went through a phase, but they're over it now. Um, but no, I think that. I, there's not a choice because who in their right minds and now it's better now than it used to be obviously but who would choose like i know i'm gonna be judged and persecuted and potentially beat up or whatever i mean we hear terrible stories about things that happen to people who are different mm -hmm. And I just, I can't imagine anybody would choose that. Like, it's, it's, it's who you are. It is woven into who you are. I don't think there's, could there be environmental thing? I don't know. But, like, on a genetic level, like, not right. like someone influenced you. Right. So, I mean, just to clarify this, right, when you're saying it's genetics, not DNA, basically what I'm trying to say here is like there's, and I think what Lou is trying to say, although her, I'll let her correct me if I'm wrong, that there is certain genetic structures that make you, that have a propensity for something. Um, there's things that balance your testosterone and estrogen levels, yes. um, especially that, but that's not true for everybody. There's people with abnormal, there's men with abnormally high levels of estrogen that are straight women with abnormally high levels of testosterone that are straight. And that's, it's, it's one of those things. It's like trying to measure a murderer. Like, can we know who murderers are going to be? Yes. There are certain genetics we can look at it and say, you may have a propensity to kill somebody, but ultimately you have to follow through with that part in the end. You have to let it, you know, and ultimately these genetic structures are how, the wolf that wins is the one that you feed. And that's very true, especially when you're dealing with something neurologically. So if you just say like, this is kind of who I am, in some cases it is so strong. I think, especially in the case of homosexuality that you just say, I mean, there are people who try to pray the gay away so strong. There's just nothing there. That's who they are. That's just, that's just how it's made. And yeah. I, I don't think it's because here's the thing, the genetics may be a contributing factor, but that's very different between like how your synapses connect in your mind and you kind of get a lot of control over how they connect environment um, and, and all kinds of things. Yeah. Even if it, I mean, it could be something as minor as like someone ate a sandwich, a cold cut sandwich while they were pregnant with you. So a certain synapse went a certain way. It's not yeah. like you were influenced by a commercial. That's not what I mean by <laughs> environmental influences. Um, but I do want to, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. That's are you all I had. Yeah. Are, are you okay? Sorry. No, you, you <laughs> didn't cut me off. Know. That was it. <laughs> I did want to say in response to the you know genetics and DNA question, um, Dr. Neil, a geneticist at um, MIT and Harvard, um, spoke on 
and contributed to a study. And it basically, just a real quick quote here, um, how did genes influence our sexuality? Uh, hang on, let me skip the fluff here. Um, genes are a very important genetic. part of how you're built. <laughs> right. right. Go ahead. <laughs> well, genetics does play a role responsible for perhaps a third of the influence on whether someone has um, same-sex preference. And the influence comes from not one gene, but each gene contributing a tiny effect. And, and a lot of what you said, you know, talking about whether it's hormone levels. Um, and in one study I read at one point, there was, you know, sort of this shift as to like, why are we seeing, you know, numbers wise, we're seeing more gay people in our society today than we used to. And of course, there's the argument that it's a social acceptance issue. Um, but then in, in other cases, um, there have been theories that are being sort of fleshed out about, you know, human populations on earth we're overpopulating like other species do this right when they're overpopulating an area they stop breeding or you know procreating or whatever um to an extent and oftentimes certain you know and it's i do think it is a there's a scientific explanation it's not a single gene but there is a genetic um component to it that really dictates our sexuality and those sort of things. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's one of those, there's still a lot of, I, I hate to sound definitive. It's something that if you're interested in studying, the field is still wide open on it. Oh yeah. Um, it's fascinating. <laughs> it really is. And there we, I, I still think the best breakthroughs are yet to come in that regard. Um, Agreed. Agreed. I have a question about tithing. Is it 10% of money or time if you don't have money? It's 10% of money. It, uh, oh, I, yeah, I, I wish it was time, time if you didn't have money, but yeah, it's 10% of money. Yeah. Um, we, and, and, and to kind of expand on that a little bit, I remember like you get the call, right? Mm -hmm. Like to come in for the meeting to go over your tithing budget. They want to see pay stubs. They want to know what you're making. They'll go back through the past year and, go okay you didn't tithe for like a whole month here like what was going on like are you know and they really dig into your personal finances the mormon church is takes that to a whole other level than i've ever seen in any other branch of any kind of christian faith they maybe i got a little lucky my my churches at least in my area just kind of accept that what i ever i give them is 10 percent, but and then take my Ooh. word on it yeah, but uh but I, I certainly understand that there are some that, like you mentioned, get a much more specific. They want to make sure it's pre-tax, right? They don't want 10% after tax. They want the pre-tax. Mm -hmm. They want they want the Fed style. Uh, yeah. Fe Fed style of all that there. You okay. You actually be disciplined in the church if you don't give it. Like, and I, I've seen it happen. Like, you'll be excommunicated for whatever amount of time until you... Mm -hmm do whatever because you had a medical debt to pay. Like it's crazy. Yeah. They, um, the, and they do look, I don't mean to go super negative on this. They do use some, a lot of that tithing money to do a lot of good things. They yeah. will, if you are a member and you are having trouble paying your rent, they, they will do help, help you. Yes. If you've lost your job and you just need help for a couple months or something, they will help you. 
Um, I certainly believe, I certainly, I think the concept of tithing in general is biblical. Um, and I am fine with that. I understand that it's smart to put a percentage of your money away for later. I mean, that's just good right. financial advice. And I do think that, and, and this is maybe where I might break from libertarians a little bit, but I am very much a, I want to be careful how I say this. I'm a communalist. And I do believe that we should help everybody in our community. And I think that one person may get disproportionately damaged. And I, it's funny because I find that capitalists are kind of against this theory. But like, what do you think insurance is? Like everybody puts a little in the pot. And then when one dude has a really bad problem, they'll be okay. Right. And I guess this is just the church making that kind of on a moral level. Right. Like, right. yes. 99% of us put more in than we ever get out of it. That 1% in though, I'm glad I helped them. Like I'm glad that right. I could be part of that help. And I do think that it is something I don't, I do begrudge kind of what you're saying uh, that, that, that it's like, no, you give 10% even when you're suffering that you give, you know, <laughs> 10% and I'm going to go over all your finances and make sure that you did it. Otherwise you're going to be in a lot of trouble. But I, I think that there is an, uh, an intelligent factor to giving 10% of your money to something that will, that could potentially help you, or it should always be a blessing to help other people, you know? Yeah, no, I, I agree with you a hundred percent on that. Like, and I think that's, I think you and I kind of agree here. This is where like mutual aid is important, right? I consider myself a communalist mm -hmm. as opposed to a communist. And to me, that's the difference. Yeah. And it's a big difference here. I am going to look at, uh, we got our, uh, I posted this on Facebook and was like, Hey guys, what questions do you got for me? And, um, you and I answered actually a lot of these already. So thank you for those who participated in the discussion there. Uh, but there was a big one, my buddy, Ryan Lindsay, who is as left as you can get while still loosely be, being considered allowed to affiliate with libertarians. Hey, I, I like him already. I don't believe he even considers himself a libertarian anymore, but he is a friend of mine. He's a friend of the wall community and darn it. It's okay to have a couple of statey friends. He's a nice Ooh, guy. And, and, and he loves to think about, he, he goes very deep. I mean, in philosophy and, and thinking about these kinds of things. And he just had a good list of questions here that I think would be good for both of us to answer. What are the main traits that distinguish the LDS church from other Christian denominations? There's a ton. But what do you think, Lou, if you had to summarize what the main ones were for somebody, what would you, what would you say? Mm, oh, that, that's, there are so many. For one, I think the biggest one on like a theological level is that like Jesus came to America, right? Like, I know, again, I'm, I've never been a literalist. So like, I like to look at that as sort of a, the message was spread to America, right? Like mm -hmm. that sort of thing. Like I'm not a literalist. Um, part of being a Mormon is that you are a literalist. Like that's the idea. And I, I never could get behind that. Um, so I think on a theological level, that's the big one. Um, on more of a just day-to-day -day life, it's the, although it's changed recently, it used to be no caffeine period. And now it's like, well, just no coffee and tea, but you can drink Coke. Like, I'm like, oh, great. Where was that when I was a Mormon? <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, but I I think things like that, like the, the really strict 
um, following these sort of rules about what you can eat, what you can wear, what you can't wear. You know, the, the garments was a big one for me. And like that, I was just like, I couldn't get behind that. wasn't my thing. The, so the problem with having, I, I think, and again, this is the problem with kind of being the literalist. And, and this is not to say that there is no such thing of, as a word of God. I think that the Bible contains words of God in them. Right. And, and I go off of those, right? The rest of it are stories that are surrounded by, you know, that help us enhance those words and help us believe. I think there are things that aren't in the Bible that also help me enhance the word of God. And I, I have no right. problem studying those just as I will the book of Hosea. So, you know. For example, so you would um, pick like one of the most obscure books. I love the book of Hosea. No, First I of all, I, I love any so book that's really short. People are going to be like Hosea. What is right. that? <laughs> but like, anyway, I, I, I won't get sidetracked by Hosea. Um, the <laughs> now all I want to do is talk about it. Uh, the, right. So, <laughs> all right. Well, now I have to. No, I'm kidding. Okay. the The big thing here is that. Once again, this comes down to rules. And so we kind of feel that because there you have to wear these garments or because you have to be baptized or because you have to have this ordinance done or else you can't get into heaven, people naturally are like, well, what about the people here in America? What about the people here in Africa that never heard about it? Right. My understanding of the scripture, especially the way Christ describes it over and over, is that Christianity extends far more than just, did I accept Christ in my life? Do I believe in him? Did I it's a mindset. It's a mentality. It's a practice. It's a way you conduct yourself. It's certainly, it's, it's a heart. It's, it's a change made in your heart. And if there are people that had unfortunate situations that never heard the word, the word of Christ, it's like, you can still be a practicing person and get into the kingdom of God. Right. right? And that's more important to me than whether you consider yourself Christian or not. Clearly it's more important that, than to God. I mean, just over and over, he's rebuking these Christians and accepting these pagans you know right. and so you just say like okay so what are, what are the pagans doing and and you know what are the christians doing what's the common threads here what are we supposed to decide and and there's just and so this is the problem is when you say like well christ must have come here and must have gone to africa because everybody that died before that went to hell because they didn't know who christ was and the idea that somebody can't be practicing the tenets taught in christianity loving their neighbor as themselves right like like building i mean god is love we are told what love is patient kindness all these other things and the idea that you can't practice that without knowing the name of god right absolutely is, right is is somewhat like yeah somewhat off base um let's see here so some of these other questions here oh other things that distinguish it I would say also on a theological level, there are three parts of the Trinity. Uh, we uh, Mormons recognize that there is a separate Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. That actually comes into something that I still kind of have no strong opinion on at this point. Um, I don't either completely. Like, I don't care, and I don't know that we're meant to understand it, and that's okay. I, yeah, I, I would say it's one of those. They're, they're, okay, so this may be a good question. I'm going to interrupt the the guess questions for a moment and do one of my questions. Is there anything you learned in the LDS faith that you're going to keep that you kept with you, I guess something that you just said, ah, that seems right to me. And I'll give you time. Oh, you, you're ready. Go. No, I was going to say, I really think it's that communalism that, which I've always naturally been that way. Right. Like I was the kid who, you know, brought home every stray animal I found and, 
you know, any kid that was having a hard time, like I was like, mom, can they come live with us? Like my parents like laugh all the time about how I was constantly bringing home strays. Right. So that's something naturally that's in me, but the church, they had an ability to be like super, um, organized about it and targeted about it. Um, and I like, that was something that really stuck with me and has, you know, and we've mentioned this a thousand times before how our faith and our, our politics sort of work together. I mean, that that's one of those things that are so intertwined that I could never separate the two, but that is something that the Mormon church really, it was something that was always in me, but it sort of like really pushed and kind of perfected the idea. I won't say perfected, but like gave me bigger ideas and, and really encouraged that. Solid. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to skip ahead to one of Ryan's questions here uh, because this is something that I actually continued to believe in. Can you explain the type of universalism regarding salvation that Mormons believe in? Um, Mormons generally believe that nobody goes to hell. Um, and that is something that, we do have this concept of outer darkness that you're there for a time, but we believe that the purpose of the afterlife is to continue to perfect, to continue to improve yourself. And that is something that I believe and others believe as well. That is something that that's something that I have held on to as I read the Bible, who did, what happened to Jesus after he died? What are we told where he went after he was crucified? We're told he went down into hell to witness to the people in hell. Did I believe he did that just to rub it in their faces? Like, haha, you're in hell and you're never getting to heaven? No. I believe that what happens is he's witnessing to these people in some type of spiritual prison. And the idea is to make them improve themselves and grow, right? I believe that spirituality is in this state of growth and that we are... To say that it ends because we only had this one life to me seems tremendously unfair. And that's not even my own understanding. That's something that has biblical backing that just says like, even God is like, hey, listen, you need this physical experience to understand what life is, but that's not the only thing in this universe to understand. And how can you possibly understand the cosmic wisdom of the universe and knowledge of the universe in a short lifespan? That's not, it's not even all about just knowledge. Like it's gathering these experiences, understanding, failing, trial and error and continuing. And so I do believe in universalism. I do believe as the scriptures say that every uh, knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Christ is Lord. And I don't believe that's going to be done through a, a series of violence or some type of political, I will force you to believe what I believe type of experience. And so um when I, when I hear that and I hear about these certain levels of progress that you can make in heaven, I certainly believe that, that I believe, I do believe in the universalism that Mormons teach. And that's something that I do, I do espouse. And so I, I guess that's one ex example of a belief that I am going to hold on to that not everybody, that pretty much nobody goes to hell aside from maybe Satan to continue the cycle or maybe people who have committed to that progress. I think uh, Christ says the one unforgivable sin was committed by the Pharisees who knew that Jesus was Lord and chose Satan anyway. Right. Like, and I think there is a point where you make that commitment where you do say like, I see the truth, I see goodness and I'm choosing the size side of evil. I do think that most people giving this, the, the, the ability to choose between good and evil well, most of the time choose good um, if they have it spelled out to them that blatantly. And 
we live in a gray world that's not that blatant. And so that's why I believe that Christ witnessed to people after his death. And that's why I believe that there is, it's not like you go to hell and it's over forever. I do believe that, um, I do believe there's progress to be made in the afterlife. And that is something that I, I believe, not just because it's taught in my Mormon faith, although that's where it's certainly most explicit, but I believe it because of the biblical backing behind it and just because of the nature of our souls. Uh, I think for me, when I study that and I read it, it makes sense. What What's the point of hell to just punish? Um, right. It's, it's, that's, when we read the gospels, it's, it literally translates to good news. The idea that we would teach Christ is like, because of the fear factor, isn't even something that's done. People even have a tough time explaining hell because it's mentioned so few times in the scriptures. Right. It's it, it was not a tool made for conversion for that matter. Heaven's barely a tool made for conversion. It's really not about that. It's about perfecting your, your spirit, you know? Right. Um, Okay. Let's see. We've gone over strengths and weaknesses, I think, already of the LDS Church pretty, pretty well there. Yeah. Um, all right. With, within more mainstream denominations, there's a lot of debate regarding how literal the scriptures should be taken. Does that debate exist within the LDS Church specifically regarding Mormon scriptures? If so, which side of that do you fall on? Well, we, we've been talking about literalism quite a bit. Um, in, my, in my, your experience may differ. Um, in my experience, when you try to have like it is understood and expected that within the mormon church like it's literal like literally literal <laughs> um and i at least that's how it was presented to me because as an older convert i had a lot of questions like on some of the things that i was like kolob is a planet that god lives on like what like some of these things um or literally and i make this joke all the time and honestly like i got this and said this when i was a mormon like we laughed about it in church we called them jesus jammies <laughs> was you know and there was a story that went around all the time and that you know someone was wearing their undergarments and that it literally stopped a bullet there's a tag in it that says made in China. Like <laughs> it didn't stop a bullet. Okay. <laughs> like, to me, I was like, okay, it's a symbolic thing or, you know, a lot of these, you know, things were not literal. And when I asked the questions, I was met with how dare you question this? It is absolutely literal like sort of responses and it blew my mind because I consider myself to be a very logical person and to see someone who is a doctor or a lawyer or you know someone who's fairly educated and aware of reality to take some of these things so literally and be just ugh, that I didn't or questioned it was odd to me so yeah that's my experience uh, i think that's a fair experience and i i think the funny part is i just don't understand where they don't what were the what were the fruits of that labor what when you planted those seeds what were the fruits i mean these people are so logical that you just are like listen if you're being that logical what happens to your logic when you see the fruits of it and if the fruits are despair suffering suicide depression anxiety Right. At what point do you be like, okay, well, I need to plant these seeds elsewhere. You know, I'm not saying that you have to like 
ditch the whole thing. I'm not saying you have to reject your Mormonism, but you need to certainly look at it a different way, you know, and, and to say that maybe these things were meant to be taken for your benefit. You know, if we make, if we make rules at all, they should always be made for our benefit. I think libertarians are looking at it a lot right now as we look at bylaws and bylaws and bylaws and we're using them to the literal letter as opposed to just saying, are we using these to our benefit? Like, cause that's the only reason we have them is to help us out. And if they're not helpful, right. I mean, they need to be discarded, you know? And, and that's, uh, anyway. Um, what, do you think the, what do you think the future of the LDS church looks like? Will it continue to grow fast? And then also he asked, do you think they'll bend on social issues, gender, sexual minorities, women? Eventually. Okay. They're going to be very far behind. Um, I My first experience with, um, the Mormon church and, and a social issue was in Arkansas. There was a bill um, regarding gay parents adopting. And I remember walking into church on a Sunday morning. And before you could walk into the chapel, there were a couple ladies set up there at like a little folding table and they wanted you to sign their petition against allowing this, you know, bill to pass or, or forcing the bill to pass or I can't remember which side it was on, but basically they didn't want gay parents adopting babies. And I like, I couldn't, I don't know. Like I left, I couldn't keep it together. And sorry, what was the question? <laughs> What the future is going to be of the LDS church. You're good. It's a good oh, story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I knew I was on topic, but then I couldn't remember where I was going. <laughs> um, no, I, you know, and then I want to say recently-ish, not in an official sense, but there have been some higher up bishops in like the main church who've kind of made... I don't know, statements, but nothing official about, you know, homosexuality and loving your neighbor, right? So you can, you can see they're laying the groundwork to get there, but they're so far behind. It's going to be two decades before there's anything remotely close to acceptance in the Mormon church, in my opinion. But just like now, if you're black, you can be a part of the priesthood like it only took them a bazillion years to get there but they did eventually same thing with polygamy you know it, that's what the mormon church does and it'll be a divine intervention when they decide to change it but we've all been there for at least a decade you know <laughs> right right and and i think the thing is is i i love i consider myself very much radical um in what I'm pushing for, but it's also because I think a lot of times radicals think of themselves as like, I tell the truth, no matter how bad it hurts. Whereas I kind of consider myself a, I tell the truth, no matter how, no matter who it heals kind of thing. And right. I think that this is, there are certain things where the Bible says, and I think this gets abused a lot, you know, but lean not on your own understanding. And the problem is, is when we don't, when we lean on, what does it mean by that? Because I think a lot of people say like, well, my understanding, I would really love the gays, but unfortunately my church isn't so big on them. So unfortunately I have to show them this 
scriptural idea of what love is. Whereas in reality, our own understanding is whatever our peer pressure is, whatever our external sources here that we have, you know, whatever all that, what our, what God's wisdom is, is that conscience, that thing inside of you that's like, man, I think this might be the right thing to do. And you go do that, you know? And, and I think that, that that is much more valid and important um, to us than, than applying some kind of like godly trying, trying to metricize God. I think when we lean on our understanding, it's leaning on what's comfortable for us. What would be easiest among our peers? Well, none of us would be libertarians if we did what was easiest for our peers, right? Like we just, be mainstream. We'd be easy. You know, we, we would be democratic. We would just say, yes, the majority rules the minority and I'm sorry about your rights. And, and, you know, we, we reject those traditions because they're not, they're immoral. And it's something that I feel that that's what God's wisdom says. And this is, I think I look at the life of Christ and what a radical life he lived, but he did not lead with the sword and he did not lead searching for his enemies. And in fact, his enemies sought him out. He would go to be alone and Satan would go show up in the desert. He would go to, you know, go to meet people who needed healing and the Pharisees would show up. Let your enemies show up to you. I think people get this idea that persecution is you saying, you saying that God hates fags at a gay rally. And it's like, no, that's you. You're the persecutor. If you do that, you're the persecutor. (laughs) The persecution finds you when you're preaching love and the right things. And then Satan shows up. You know, and so for me, this is the I the the I I try to abide that example of Christ and the life that he lived by going and creating healing. And yes, if you need I guess if you feel like getting into it doctrinally, because Christ was able to with his enemies, but ultimately the guiding idea was I need to create healing, I need to create love, I need to create unity, I'm going to go and do all these things, and my enemies can come along for the ride. Right. And <laughs> and this is not this is not a focus on saying I need to take out my enemies. They expected Christ to come and be a violent conqueror and take, and take over. In reality, what he did was he set the framework that made these heathens the future of Christianity, right? right? And people might not like it. Uh, everybody remembers the story of Jonah and the whale. People forget the second part of that story is he finally gets to Nineveh and converts them and it actually touches their hearts. And Joseph get, or in, uh, Joseph Jonah gets upset because he wanted firestorms. He wanted wrath. He wanted, be, he wanted the outrage. And how much is that like our culture right now, right? We want wrath. We want outrage. As opposed to being them being like, oh, okay, we'll change. You're right. This is a better lifestyle for us. And yeah. it's like, oh, but I wanted them to pay for all their sins. Well, that's not really what we're trying to do here. And right. I think we, we get lost in this. It's this delicate balance between mercy and justice. And I think we we all have to do the dance, but ultimately I think the idea is, is if you let your heart be your guide, let your conscience be your guide and not a set of codes, you will always end up pretty much doing the right thing. Um, it, it very rarely gets people in trouble. Right. And I, you know, because technically we are a political show, I do want to point out to our audience the parallels of this and our current struggles with our criminal justice system and recidivism right yes <laughs> like this is where my faith plays a big role in my politics you know and i just i can't separate the two it doesn't make sense to me well and and just on a fundamental level when 
you do what works, right? So for Christ, what works for Christianity was getting a bunch of swords and stabbing everybody that didn't proclaim Christianity going to work. No, they were vastly outnumbered. Even if he called in a billion angels, it wouldn't help make people more faithful. They'd be doing it because it was forced. Like the only way to go about it was to become a martyr, to become a servant, to become, I mean, an essential slave to those are the needs of people around you. And that was what made it work. This is the one, like the image that sticks in my head is Jesus washing the feet of, was it a prostitute and a leper? And like, there are different instances of him doing something of service Mm -hmm. for something or for someone rather that, you know, culturally other people would think of as less than yeah services service is everything and when i talk about uh, you talked about the justice system and 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 uh, recidivism well here's the thing what are the seeds right because that's the thing let's say because we all have crisis of conscience right sometimes our conscience doesn't know what to do that's okay that's why we're here we study these things we learn how do we learn we plant seeds and we see how they grow and we taste the fruits and we say oh That worked well. Oh, that didn't work well. Look at the current state of the justice system. Now we can justify it all day. These people committed a crime. These people did a bad thing. Maybe even something that genuinely hurt somebody. Maybe something that genuinely hurt themselves. And I feel like it's on me to get them locked up so that they can think about it and fix it and get better with their lives. Okay, what are the fruits of that? Are these people then leaving prison to leave productive full, unhampered lives and becoming contributing members of society? Some of them, most of them are not. Systemically, they are not. And so what you do is you just say, okay, those are bad seeds then. You can justify it all day, right? Like we do it all the time. Whenever somebody justifies the current justice system, they usually have a lot of great points. Do you want this murderer walking out on the streets? Do you want this pedophile living next door to you? You know, they say all these scary things. This guy keyed a car. Well, if he keyed my car, I'd have shot him to death. So he should be grateful to be in prison right now, right? We have all these great examples of what we feel like, you know, should be is justice, right? And I'm not saying that these are intellectually incorrect, but you have to eat the fruits of the seeds that you plant. And if they are no good and you keep making more criminals with your current justice system, then you have to plant your seeds somewhere else. And that's just logic. You can you can rely on this sense of justice all day that you did the right thing according to some code. But if you're not if your code is not based in actually fixing a problem, then I don't really care for much for what you're you, you're able to justify or what excuses you're able to make. They just don't sync up. I'd say morally, but they don't sync up logically either. And so really like it's something that I look at with Christ and what he did was what was functional, what worked and tasted those seeds and said, hey, what was the effect of that? Like when you went in there and rebuked those people, how did they feel? How do you feel? What is the effect of that? You might have had every right in the world to rebuke these people, but did it work? And if not, you need to do something different. I think Christians so often catch themselves justifying themselves in these persecutions and saying awful things and being mean to people. And then it's like, okay, but what was the effect? Are you now closer to your niece? Is this person less trans? Is the, is the is cultural Marxism now going away? No. If anything, it's stronger than ever. And you're the reason it is because you're creating the opposition. You're galvanizing people. Yeah, if Christ, exactly. If Christ started a revolution, they would have put you down like dogs. 
Like they would have just killed them all. And then it would have been very simple, right? So like, what was the real revolution that he was going for? It wasn't the violent one in the streets. It was the peaceful one. Like hearts and minds. Right. And that's just the right way to go about it. I, I just, yeah. Plant seeds and eat the fruits of your seeds. Right. And I love I love that this is where we're intersecting those two aspects of our lives. And and the, the irony that we connected on a political campaign and here we are. <laughs> <laughs> right. Politics sucks. Yeah. <laughs> right. Let's uh, talk about religion that yeah. completely directly influences my politics. Right. Um, but no, I do. I. I share a frustration, I think, that that you probably can relate to, that as a Christian and a lefty, <laughs> I hear what other lefties call Christians, right? And there are times that I am like, oh, I need a new word because I can't associate with the bigotry and the hate and the judgment and all of these negative things that today unfortunately are directly you know the first in mind connected to christians evangelicals in america it's frustrating um because i don't feel like any of that is at all what jesus wanted us to do um and and a lot of that just comes from it's funny because it a lot like you, like I have this sort of automatic, like internal, like this is what I feel. And then when I look at scripture and faith and all of these things, it all seems so obvious to me. I don't understand the, the cult, like how culture can have such an impact. So in, in changing our faith in changing what Christ said, you know, and is something as simple as love your neighbor, right? Like, that's it. How is it that I can sit in church on Sunday morning and listen to a preacher preach at me for an hour about being gay and how wrong it is? I, you know, okay, if you wanted to do a series on the Ten Commandments, okay. That's not even a commandment. It's not even a correct uh, translation. And you're dedicating an entire hour of a sermon to this. That's not Christian. That's not preaching about Jesus or what Jesus believed. That's cultural. And I think we are... Culture and faith are having a very ugly dance right now. <laughs> like it's a it's a strange thing that's happening. I'm back. Was I on gone? this side of it. I was gone, wasn't I? Am I back? You're back. You're ba- I'm back. Thank you for carrying for me there. Sorry about that. I, I got just you. No, you know what? You carried for me earlier, so I appreciate it. And I have to say, <laughs> I did see the comment that you popped up from Ron about how, like, neither of us have had to take a break yet. And I'm like, ha I was very <laughs> sneaky about it. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> well, you know what? Props to StreamYard then for keeping this alive, even though oh, I yeah. dropped off. That's that's a crazy yeah, like feature. I saw you go, so I was like, I got this. Oh, <laughs> I appreciate that. I assumed we were doomed. Thank goodness. Um, yeah. Uh, so you, uh, I culture. Got all deep. I, I, I'm sorry. I was just holding you back from going deep there. Uh, no, you're good. <laughs> we left on the kind of the subject of like, and and I think so much of libertarianism is in that individualism, <laughs> in that individual empowerment, to the empowerment to make your own good decisions. Yeah. And we look to, we talk about these boundaries, but really all boundaries. And we talk about this a lot as libertarians too. Instead of being some government entity to decide, they should all be personal. Every single one of them. It's so important to have personal boundaries. And the more we focus on those and build those up, because I'm not talking about a lawless world. I think a lot of times the conservative leaning person just gets concerned that this is the death of goodness, right? Like, oh, like the next step is going to be the bad one. Like, sure, you're allowed to be voluntarily gay. And that's fine. That doesn't hurt me. But then you're going to be gay with me or you're going to be you know, you're going to force my church to recognize you. Or you're going to force this to recognize this. You're going to force, you know, and talking about all these forceful things. Where in reality, if we just created these systems that said like, no, these are our individual communities. We empower our individuals that are parts of those communities. And they are free to associate with these communities. Right. Then they kind of develop their own boundaries on their own. And they just say like, you know, if from the beginning, you just say, I don't, one of the reasons I don't care about open borders because one of the things that people get scared of is how the community will change, how the culture will change because they'll abuse politics. But as somebody right. who is like an anarchist, I just think I don't care. Nothing is going to mess up my marriage because like I believe in marriage. I'm not married right now, I guess my engagement or whatever. No, but nothing's going to mess up monogamy for me if I believe in monogamy on a personal level. Like, right. It's what's right all, for me. So that's what I'm doing. If all my neighbors decide to be polygamists, I would still not be a polygamist. So that's just, that's fine. Right. Like that, that's, yeah. it, it's not really much of an issue. I can understand those like, you know, being like, well, we've influxed with people who want to use government force. Yeah. That's 99% of the planet, buddy. Like we're not getting to a place that anytime soon where we say we're going to close our business, our, our borders to anybody, except for those who believe in government force. Believe me, when you put politicians in charge of it, the only people they're going to let in are the people that believe in government force that right. benefits them. I mean, that's just right. Yeah. I, I, I guess I'm getting a little open borders with it, but that that's just how I feel. Um, <laughs> is there any, um, I guess, are there any other hiccups with the church that we didn't get to? Any any other like strikes? Because I know we kind of talked about it in terms of like a personal journey. And that's good. I mean, we need to clear these things up with our personal experiences because I think our faith is very much personal. It's uh, Faith has to be personal. The reason like you can't just be taught your faith is because it's something that you have to live. You can hear these things a million times. They call it a journey for a reason. Until you plant the seeds and go through the experience of harvesting. A lot of people liken it to climbing a mountain, which is also a good analogy. I love the farming one to just say like, until you've gone through the farming process and tasted those fruits and said, this is where it's at right here. You really don't, you really can't be taught that because it, like I said, justice sounds different on a legal level and things sound right until you practice them. And I think that there's a lot of people whose eyes open. We're talking about why we're losing so many members in the LDS church. I keep saying we, you can tell how fresh this is, even though I've left. Um, because it's just, you have, if you say, well, 
it's easy to talk about transphobia or, or, or trans issues and, and a very distant and a very like, well, I don't want to live next to him or whatever. And then, you know, you have a, a, a trans son and then things take a very different turn. I can tell you right. now I viewed divorce a lot differently until I went through it. I thought everybody just needed to be stronger and suck it up. And, and, and believe me, everything I said sounded really good. It sounded like yeah. I was a really strong, smart, confident guy. And then I learned what it takes to tango. I learned all these other truisms that were also true and more true than what I knew to be true. And I had to accept those. And so I think the more you interact with other people, the more you are going to say like, oh, wow, that's what it's really all about. Like it wasn't about this piece of paper. It was about my relationship with God. It wasn't about me sitting in a sermon. It was about me and my interactions with my family and making those healthy and my interactions with the downtrodden, the humble, the people who've been cast aside by society and, and loving. I'm not saying don't love the rich, successful, whatever is either. In fact, some of those people need love a lot, way more than they are aware. They need a real idea of what love is. You know, we try to change so many times these people by outrage as opposed to with our hearts. Um, and, and I think that it's something that the LDS church is just has lost its perspective on by trying to create a great system of rules. And I think here's what I'll say. I think as far as rules go, it's all right. I don't love the anti-gay thing or whatever, but if you're going to try to make a bunch of rules to try to make a bunch of moral people, the LDS people tend to be really good, industrious, hard workers. Usually people trust them to babysit their kids and they have people think really fondly of them and their good works. But that comes with this seed of judgment and this seed of all these other broken, broken family issues and a high divorce rate. That's just as high as everybody else's. And they say like, well, where's God? Where, where if you shouldn't you be different from everybody else if god is like if this is the if god is literally leading your church right you go to the temple uh, that brings up another issue that i have and then i'll turn it over to you as far as issues we didn't get to but i mean yeah. that that curtain tore on the temple and my explanation whenever i was told Whenever you bring this up to a Mormon person, the, the correct answer is to say that, yes, the temple, the veil in the temple tour, meaning anybody could go in, but we still got to make sure they're worthy or not. Man, Christ live a life building a coalition of the unworthy and making them into people that were good people. And he's saying, go to the temple to become a God, good person, not be a good person, and then come to the temple. And if your faith operates in that backwards way, you're going to have a backwards religion that says we expect you to be good, and now you can be Mormon. We expect you to be good, and now you can have this ordinance. The reason ordinances are done is for the benefit of man, not the benefit of man to God. It's the reverse hierarchy. Jesus was the ultimate servant because he wanted to empower the individual. We, therefore, are, this whole thing is based on our individualism and our self-empowerment, right? And so when we see this, it's not, we give our power to the temple because we're good people. It's the temple is supposed to power you. And so I just see that the church is operating these things backwards and I don't, I don't like it. So I took off. <laughs> right. uh, I mean, what, what, are, what are any issues that you think that we didn't talk, uh, touch on there? I think, you know, and it, this kind of plays along those same lines. One of the things that really kind of struck me is like, whoa, 
like that's a little mm, i don't think so <laughs> was baptisms for the dead right like <laughs> and this is like on a symbolic level like i understand the biblical connection right but again as someone who is not a literalist like i always looked at that story as a matter of like caring for it, it was all very allegory and metaphorical stuff right but to i kind of lost it when it was oh we're going to baptize you know a proxy for Anne frank okay i'm sorry excuse me this woman child rather literally died for her faith that was not freaking mormon like what like how can you do that that's like so disrespectful to me and especially like as a christian like i view the jewish faith as like i'm very protective and loving and accepting of like like you're my people right and say and i the same with um like muslim faith like the abrahamic faiths right i all kind of my take on it is we're probably all really like on the same page it's the same god it's the same everything it's just the story told from different perspectives mm -hmm. and you know that's about it like besides traditions like it's basically the same stuff right. <laughs> you know um and so when i when that happened and then i kind of was questioning like what do you you know and the ones where it's like you know oh my uncle died before he could be baptized but he grew up mormon right like he mm -hmm. just never got to actually be back like okay i get that that's fine it's a symbolic whatever will you start doing this for like celebrities and things like that like is that are you just bulking your numbers with that like i don't understand yeah yeah this question that's all right well Jeff, just answering and i, I do want to say this is accurate the ordinances performed still respect the individuals on the other side with their choice to accept or reject essentially the baptism that we performed for them right um when you look way back in mormon writings like way back and i don't think any of it's even like it none of it's included in like the pearl of great price or anything like that but like other writings um actually some of it might be that wasn't originally the intention right so like when it was first brought up to do baptisms of the dead right it was correct me if i'm wrong for a native american tribe that they literally murdered so <laughs> like like the church has a knack for rewriting things um pivoting a, a a meaning making a rule go away <laughs> like they do that a lot <laughs> so i'm not i don't know i'm skeptical yeah it's it's one of those that i think again this this comes down to the idea that the church is the highest of hierarchies as opposed to as opposed to the church being a service right, right. because 
the idea is you need the church. So everybody needs the church. So I need to do a baptism. So because you need the church, because right. this is important. This baptism is important. If you don't have this baptism, you're not getting there. We have like evidence of like God saying there's five different people in the scriptures alone that are going to heaven that did, weren't baptized. We just functionally know they weren't. And God's like, yeah, you're, you're going to paradise. You're going to heaven. You're going to, you know? And so like, we make this rule because we're like, oh, well, it must associate with the church somehow. And then we kind of do a retrograde rule that's like, like oh, because we did the baptism for them later, that's why they were able to get into, go into the church now. Why are we convoluting this? Christ was literally present, dying on the cross next to the criminal when he said the guy was going to heaven. And don't you think that would have been a great opportunity to talk about like, oh, so let me tell you about baptisms for the dead. You're going to be approached by somebody. You're going to get offered up a baptism and you should accept it. No, he just told them they were going. And like, this is, this. it's so important to focus on these things because. Oh no. I think we may be losing Hody's Wi-Fi again. <laughs> um. I don't know if anybody else is seeing or hearing him um, or if I'm just talking over him. So I apologize. However, that said, um, to kind of touch on what he was saying. Sorry. <laughs> um, to touch on what he was saying. You know, the, the baptism for the dead, while I think at some point started off as sort of symbolic gesture of caring for someone, you know, has, like many other things within the Mormon church, become a doctrine that it's almost as if you have to earn so many points to get to heaven. And whether it's doing baptisms for the dead, um, moving up in your priesthood ship in the church, things like that being sealed in the temple. Like there's sort of this point structure um, that the church has put in place. So it becomes less about faith and what we're being taught and more about you know, earning points and keeping score. Did you pay your tithing? Did you do all kinds of things? Um, did you go on a mission? Were you sealed in the temple? All of these things. And I think that there is a, there's a big emphasis on can you rack up a score, right? Within the Mormon church, that is something that I, personally could never get behind what I needed to find was something more along the lines of I'm human and that's okay. And so are you. And that's okay too. And that's it. And it's really simple. Um, I think a lot of religion complicates faith. Um, it looks like Hody maybe have has lost his internet so i guess i get to close out the show tonight isn't this interesting so we will be back later this week with more 
political chat and discussion. I believe it'll be me and Hody and Sam. Somebody? I'm not sure. Oh, hey, you're back. I was about to wrap it up. <laughs> uh, great call. Hey, Christy, thanks for joining us. Sorry about that. Uh, well, my internet is long for the world, so let's just we only have a couple minutes here. So, uh, am I good again? I'm still here. Maybe. Okay. You're here. You're here. I can hear you. It's a little choppy. Okay. okay. I'm just going to say thank you all for tuning in. I appreciate it. Whatever your faith is, I respect it. Yes. And I I understand that you may feel differently. I know we've had a lot of LDS folks, even LDS folks that are listening to and participating in this. And I respect why. I understand why. I'm not saying your conclusions need to be the same that I draw because then I'd be no different than the people that I'm complaining about. That say exactly. you have to draw these, you have to draw these conclusions. Do draw your own conclusions. I just think sow your seeds, taste the fruits. If the fruit's not not what you want, this is God's own test for himself, right? Because we don't have a video camera set up at the beginning of the world where I see a guy create the, the universe. That's not the way God says, here's how you prove I exist. The way you prove God exists is just by saying, you know what? Here's, here's the system that I have given to you. If what I'm saying is wrong, test it out. And if it's bad fruit, then it's wrong and throw it out. And I'd say, take him up on that offer. Like, I think it's a very practical way of measuring God's wisdom. And I just think for me, I have eaten ill fruits when I have tried to defend homophobia, even, and I, and I've been libertarian for a long time, right? Like I've, I've been way ahead of the LDS church in some of these regards, but even when I try to stand up for the church doing these things, I don't like it. It doesn't feel good. The fruits aren't good. People feel oppressed by me associating with them. And so I just say, I can't do it anymore. And I'm going to take a break. And uh, Lou, let's hear that. That's it. Again, respect, love, whatever you guys feel. Lou, I will give you some final words on your subject. Yeah, no, I I think you really covered that very well. I think that was one of the things that, like, I always had something gnawing at the back of my head, right? You know, whether this isn't quite right, this doesn't add up, this doesn't feel good. And it it really did, I think, you know, obviously there were a number of things that were sort of the last straw. <laughs> um, but ultimately, looking back at it, that's exactly it. The fruits were sour and not good. So I chose a different path, one that is love. Simply. That's it. Just love. Not a bad idea. When God says God is love, I say worship that fully. And I just think that anything less than that is worshiping a God that isn't love. And that's kind of idolatry. And I know how God feels about that. (laughs) You never love it. (laughs) Not not his favorite. Anyhow, Lou, thank you so much. I appreciate you filling in for those internet dead moments. yeah, I audience. tried. I was like, oh, uh, what's happening? <laughs> you you did great. Uh, you you are brilliant and smart. And I appreciate you doing this with me. I, you're going to hear back from us here in a couple of days where we get discuss all the Libertarian Party drama. But I was so happy to do this instead. Yeah, do today. something a little different for a change. <laughs> right. Because uh, everybody's talking about that. It's funny because that was your like side thing last night, right? The piece of your mind last time. And now it's just going to be, it's the piece of it. It is the piece of everything. And there it goes, Hody. You guys have 
a fantastic evening. It looks like we lost him again. We will be back, like he said, later this week. Um, I don't even know what we're talking about yet or who else going to be on. So you'll be as surprised as I am. I'm sure it'll have something to do with mm, Karen Ann, uh, JBH, New Hampshire, or maybe a Russian pipeline. Thanks, Biden. You all have a great evening.